Welcome to the Minnesotan Pod. Today we bring in a Minnesotan of sorts, Andy Johnson, a scout for the USHL and now a scout in the NHL. He spent some time as the general manager of the Sioux City Musketeers, got his name on the Clark Cup trophy last spring, and his story is magnificent. We're going to hear about how he got his big break into the business. We'll talk about his business in the USHL, now his uh, recent uh, move into the NHL at the Los Angeles Kings and everything in between. Hope you enjoy today's show. Love is a burning thing and it makes a fiery ring Bound by wild desire I fell into a ring of fire Well, Andy, how are you doing today? Hey, Tony, I'm doing great. Uh, appreciate you having me. I've uh, been looking forward to this one for a while. I had you kind of pegged. I'm like, I got to get Andy Johnson on. When you won the, when the Musketeers won the Clark Cup last year, I'm like, what a story that is. And uh, soon after that, uh, one of the best writers in the country, Brad Schlossman, picked up on it and kind of detailed your story starting out as a blogger uh, at St. Cloud State. And uh, the story is wonderful, and I hope to help kind of bring it to light here today. No, I appreciate it and I followed you guys for a long time and happy to be a small part of it. Yeah, it's funny you say followed us for a long time. Uh, I think some of the earliest days of YHH found uh, Andy in our rink. I know dating back to the original first year of the Bantam Elite League, Andy, you were there okay. as a scout, correct? I don't even know what you were scouting in the uh, summer of 2014, but you were there and you were very active. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I mean, that was, a, that was a great league and still is. And, uh, you know, obviously always trying to find the, the advantage somewhere and not a lot of other hockey going on uh, in the middle of August. So uh, it was always a, a treat to get out for a, a weekend or two in the summer with you guys. And then obviously all you guys do throughout the course of the year, running into you guys and bumping into you guys. Um, been a fantastic product to, to follow. It's funny you should say that. I was talking to some scouts, uh, NHL scouts, the last few weeks. We're talking about these are guys from Boston and Montreal, and and we're talking about you know the when's a good age to kind of from an NHL perspective when to start because everybody focuses draft year, draft year, draft year, draft year. But some of the ramp up you have watching kids at fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, you can tell kind of that their hockey stick is going up, if their hockey stick is flattened, or if it's going down. And I think it's a big part of what your job will be with the Kings. It is, and, and I think that's the advantage that I have, especially this year and probably over the next couple of years, is that these kids that are going into their draft year, I'm already familiar with for the most part throughout the U.S. And I think that's, uh, you know, I got to take that to my advantage, obviously. So eventually that's going to wear off a little bit, but, uh, I think you're doing yourself a little bit of a disservice if you don't uh, have a, a little bit of a track record other than their draft year. So like you said, know, you know the trajectory of which kids are, are stalling out, which kids are improving and, and uh, getting better. And I think the Kings as an organization are, uh, they're not just looking for guys in their first draft year. Either. They've drafted plenty of kids, you know, like a Jared Wright last year who was in his second year of eligibility and just keeps getting better and better and better. So 
I think you have to have a, a wide book and, you know, um, you know, I don't think we're looking at the 14 year olds like I used to be. Um, but there's definitely a, a bit of a trajectory that you have to keep in mind when you're, you're looking at the entire process. I think there's something to that, though. I mean, maybe going to a national camp, uh, 15's national camp, and kind of just getting a lay of the land who they are. I think there's something to, you know, I saw this kid when he was 15, and, God, he's totally different now. You know what I mean? Now he's, I think he's a riser versus, you know, some of these NTDP kids who are anointed when they're 15, literally 15, 16 years old. It's hard to hang on sometimes, and you'll see it this year in your go through your first NHL draft is some of these kids will dip, you know? For sure, and I think that there's a – it's the biggest development curve years from, you know, 14 to to 20. Like, that's – there's a lot of growth and and stagnation, you know, between different players. So, it's – it's it's like I said, it's an advantage for me to – to be able to see the, the kids while I was in the USHL the last couple of years and uh, you know, the prospects coming up and being able to take that, that, uh, that snapshot in time and project that out. Cause you know, realistically kids, you know, when we draft them in the NHL aren't, aren't, uh, you know, other than the, the bonus babies at the top of the draft, most of these guys are three to six years away from ever, ever wearing an LA King sweater. Yeah, it's it's. A, we'll we'll get into that later. I, I definitely want to know more about who you are, how you grew up, where you grew up. Uh, all I really know is that uh, you grew up in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Uh, tell me about your family life. You have brothers, sisters. What were your parents' uh, occupations? Tell me a little bit about growing up in Eau Claire. Yeah, no, I mean Eau Claire. We 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 call it God's country there. It's beautiful. Um, but uh, two two younger brothers, Trent and Lucas. Uh, both played sports uh, growing up. Uh, my mom, Mark, Mark and Lynn, mom had a number of jobs. Um, dad, uh, operations manager for a wholesaler liquor distributor, still does that. Mom's retired now. Um, and, and it was a great, great childhood. I think the, the thing, you know, we, me and my brothers, you know, my dad was a basketball guy. But uh-huh. he, they, they loved, they, they let us do whatever we wanted in terms of sports. They, you know, there was, I remember like the parks and rec department in our hometown just kind of had like a, uh, a big book with all the different sports uh, throughout the year. And my dad just kind of tossed it to us and said, you know, what do you guys want to do? It didn't matter. It didn't, he didn't care if we played basketball or badminton. Um, and and we, we got to try new things. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I didn't even really know what hockey was, but it looked cool. So I tried that and he was, he was totally cool with me doing that. And I, I always played hockey after that, but I also, you know, I, I tried soccer for a year. I was probably the worst soccer player in the history of ASOU soccer, but it didn't matter. He, you know, he let me play, and I think I did karate for a year, and, you know, my brothers did wrestling and basketball, and um, that was, you know, a really cool thing that they, whatever we wanted to do, they were willing to let us try as long as we, you know, gave an effort, and, you know, they spent a lot of money, and we, we weren't you know, extremely well off growing up, they had to make major sacrifices to allow us to do these things, especially as, as, you know, like I said, my hockey career wasn't anything to write home about, but, you know, there was a couple summers where, um, you know, now there's a million triple A teams in the summer back when I was coming up as an 86, there, there was only a few, excuse me. And, um, you know, they, I, I got recruited to play on a Minnesota team. So it required me to, uh, drive, you know, twice a week for practice in the summer and, 
you know, my parents made a lot of sacrifices for us to do things like that. So um, that's kind of how we came up and, and very fortunate to do so in a great family. So your dad, or your mom worked a little bit. Uh, your dad obviously still works, whatever. Um, where do you think uh, you got your work ethic and your drive? Because there's no one's going to argue that you aren't working hard uh, in your current, in your occupation. Where do you think you got that? Or maybe it was, maybe it's a grandpa, maybe it's an uncle, maybe whoever. How do you think you got that, that work ethic? Well, I think it was my whole family, you know. I mean, def- definitely my grandparents all um, extremely hardworking people and, and role models, but you know, my mom and dad, especially, you know, my dad, he, he started, you know, uh, he, he, like I said, he's, he's an operations manager for a, a big liquor distributor now, but you know, he, he, he didn't go to college. Like he, he started on as a beer truck driver um, and he would, you know, work extra hours to pay for my hockey. And then, you know, <laughs> he, 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 he would, he would come in and he, he never missed, never missed a, a game or a practice, which, I don't even know how that's possible with, with the, what, what he had to do and with his hard work and what he did, he just, he just kept working his way up at, at his company to, you know, where he's at now, which I'm extremely proud of. And same with my mom, you know, um, you know, working multiple jobs to, to pay for hockey. And I mean, I, I remember when I finally got to uh, that opportunity to play triple A hockey in the summer, like they, they had to go buy a new car uh, for the travel because the the cars that they had they didn't you know know if, if it would be able to handle uh, the trips around the country so uh, extremely fortunate and uh, definitely took took the uh, the hard work from them. So let me know about one of your uh, coaches, youth coaches. You know, maybe what had an impact on you on the, it could be hockey, could be any other sport. What maybe had an impact on you to make hockey fun or make sports great? Yeah. Well, and that's one of the advantages to, I think, you know, there's been a a ton of kids coming out of the Eau Claire Youth Hockey Association and, um, you know, Wisconsin, you know, obviously doesn't produce the same amount of kids as Minnesota, but Eau Claire has produced a number of, you know, the Derek LaPointe, Jake McCabe, Jake Dowles, um, you know, there's been a number of, uh, you know, Jefferson Dolls and and the list goes on D1 guys that have come out of there. Mm -hmm. Um, When you look at the rest of the state, it's, it's producing as much or more than anyone and, and really the biggest advantage I think is they've got a, a really great volunteer system and in non-parent coaches that are giving their time to, to coach. Um, I had a number of, of great ones. Ryan Parker was my, my Bantam coach. He's a high school coach for Oakland North High School now. Um, Clay Tim is, is another one. Um, the, the Kohler brothers uh, Clay, Clay Tim, actually, his son right now is a senior, um, early, uh, junior, I believe, uh, late birthday, playing uh, for Rice Lake High School in Team Wisconsin, and I get to see him a lot. So a lot of these guys uh, were great, and, and then my high school coaches, Andy Akrovic and Tom Bernhardt, were, um, you know, for for a very average player, they were able to get, get the most uh, out of me, so you know, these, these guys that volunteer their time um, really kind of set the foundation um, for, for a lot of players in, in, uh, in Eau Claire, including myself. So your career ends in high school, obviously. And then you, how did you choose to go to St. Cloud State and what was the draw to go there? Um, I, it, I didn't go there right away. Okay. I, you know, I, I actually, uh, you know, I, I did a number of things. I, w- I wasn't the best student in the world. All right. Um, it, well, I don't think it was because of brain power. I think it was, um, you know, just other interests. Like I just, I, I actually started coaching high school hockey for a couple of years, which not a lot of people know. 
Um, did it did a did a a year at uh, Oakley Regis Private School. Um, we went two and eighteen. Um, not the most fun year of my life, but um, it was a learning experience as an eighteen year old coaching high school hockey as an assistant coach and. Um, did a year at, at uh, my alma mater at Oakland North the, the next year, and it was the complete opposite where we were, um, you know, something like 19 and one, and went to the state tournament, and I uh, had an NHL draft pick in Derek Point. But um, you know, I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do at that time. I was young and dumb and immature, uh, but loved hockey, and um, you know, eventually, like I said, you know, uh, fall my way to St. Cloud State um, in my mid 20s. Um, you know, I. I Finally, at that time, you know, decided I, I, I had a passion for sports and hockey, but I didn't really know how to channel that. But, um, you know, started kind of doing a little bit of journalism and um, specifically kind of covering the, the Wisconsin men's hockey program. And it but you were kind of, doing it uh, from St. Cloud. Yeah, yeah, um, which was bizarre, but um, was still able to, you know, with with by, by that time, most games were, um, you know, either streamed or we, we actually, I was able to uh, watch my parents uh, cable through uh, Dish Network had a, a special device back then. I don't even know how it was, but I was able to watch it through my computer um, or, or stream stream games. And, and really like, I mean, that was still a little bit in the, in the heyday of the WCHA where, you know, they were playing Minnesota, St. Cloud, Duluth, North Dakota. And I was making a lot of those road trips to go uh, cover those games and, uh, you know, paying out of pocket for, for most of it, uh, but had a blast doing it. And it really um, uh, kind of set this journey on its path. It really did. So how did we come? I mean, I know who Chuck Schwartz is, but how did, why Chuck Schwartz? Why not Andy? What was the pseudonym all about? I mean, my story is pretty well known that I'm not Tony Scott. So, but that was because yeah. my kids were playing, right? What was your What was your reason? Uh, I, you know what? To be honest with you, um, I, I, I don't, I don't really. It was so long ago now. Um, <laughs> I mean, this is, you know, fifteen years ago. Um, uh, the the name came from the wedding crashers. Right. I do know that. Right. Um, you know, it just, uh, I, I just, I had started a, a small little website that I didn't expect anyone to read. Um, and for some reason, just put that in and, uh, you know, all of a sudden, you know, three, four years later, uh, you know, I got, you know, a couple of thousand followers on Twitter and it's, uh, <laughs> it's like this kind of took a life of its own. So I didn't expect that. And, you know, eventually once it got big enough, um, you know, I, I just, you know, I just kind of, I don't remember if I put a post out or a tweet and said, Hey. Like, you know, you guys know this is not my real name and just kind of told everyone who I was eventually. It was pretty um, obvious just by the name if you knew anything about movies. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. It wasn't, it so wasn't, it wasn't like, like, yeah, I wasn't trying to cover anything up. It just uh, kind of grew a life of its own. And, um, you know, it just is what it is. So, um, you know, probably halfway through uh, the, the journalism thing, I kind of changed back and just made it. Uh, my real name. I remember not that this is. I know this is your story, but I remember talking to, um, I think it was uh, Kukinen and Janicki, those two guys, and I was like, by this time, I had I always introduced introduced myself with my real first and last name, Tony Zolzel, but I just used Tony Scott on the air or whatever, 
And I said, you know, I'm thinking of doing the Mellencamp, just kind of like getting rid of the Johnny Cougar and just going to Tony Zozel. And those two guys were like, no, 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 keep it. It's super cool. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, fine, I'll just keep it. It, it, it didn't really matter. It didn't change my life one way or the other to do it. But but I, I, I admire you that you were actually able to go to Andy Johnson without having to skip out on Chuck Schwartz. Yeah, it, just, it, got, it got old just explaining myself, you know, because, you know, I started, you know, going to a ton of, uh, you know, youth hockey games and high school games and events and, and developing a network and meeting people and having to, you know, explain, you know, who I really was. Uh, it just got old. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. So it, it just, uh, you know, and at that point, like I started getting more credibility and I, I still didn't expect uh, it to lead to this. Uh, but I, I knew that if, if anything was ever going to come, I needed to, uh, do it on my own name and volition. What's interesting in the, in the Schlossman article, um, he touched on this this meetup with Andy Baggett and Todd Malusi. Did this really happen? Did they want to meet you? Um, well, or is that I, a little, I, so, little fiction there? It, it, no, he he was referring to North Dakota played at St. Cloud, um, and 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 we just had a meetup. Uh, it was Brad was there, and and uh, their sports information director, uh, Jason Hadjadu, and and uh, the radio guys and stuff like that. Oh, but so I, this wasn't. Yeah. I thought it was Andy and Todd. Now that would be even no. that'd be even a bigger deal, right? No, but I met I met Andy and, and Todd because I was I you know I go to games and sit in the press box at, at oh, the center and, got and sit in the press box at other spots, and I, I didn't do that. Uh, I didn't do that early on um and until actually minnesota's uh sports information director uh brian. paul robnack was actually yeah. for, for, he was, this was before brian wow paul was the sid and he does it for the football team now i believe yeah yep. uh, but paul paul had worked for the washington capitals i, I believe and and he, he they were the washington capitals were the first nhl team to credential uh a blogger and uh, he he encouraged he kind of reached out and encouraged me to apply for credentials and I, I I I didn't think it was necessary at the time but I'm glad he talked me into it because it, it's it saved me a lot of money going to games uh, for a while um, and and like I said yeah I mean I, I was going to games all over uh, the Midwest after that. That's fascinating. I had the same thing. Someone reached out to me and said you should apply for credentials for this. And I was like I never even considered it until right. someone brought you know what i mean it's very similar we have a very similar path uh i don't know if i'm as successful as you are but you know we'll, we'll get to that <laughs> later um okay so you're doing this blogging um for is it bucky's fifth quarter yeah that was the main one um it was the it was the biggest one i, I had a small independent one uh initially and then the bucky's fifth quarters guys kind of recruited me um, gave me a little stipend. It wasn't much, but it was, you know, I think it was enough to maybe cover my cell phone bill for the month or something like that. But right. it, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was a bigger platform. And, and, you know, by this time I'm, I'm going to St. Cloud and, and realistically thinking, Hey, like, um, you know, maybe I could be a sports writer, you know, after graduation and, and do this full time. Uh, maybe this is my, my path to stay in sports. It was, it was, that was kind of the plan. And, um, once I got that far, yeah, yeah, and that's and at that point in your life, 
not that that's a rock solid career, but it it is a career, and it is doing something you're very passionate about. So at that point, you I wouldn't say you were set, but at least you had a had focus because you were saying you weren't exactly focused out of high school. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It was because yeah, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I had no no idea. You know, I you know uh, maybe a gym teacher, maybe business. Uh, I mean, it just you know, like a lot of kids, you know, it, it takes some time and. Um, you know, thankfully my parents were extremely patient and, uh, you know, I was able to, you know, work for my dad in the summers at anyone's warehouse and do things like that. And, and, you know, you know, move, move back home at one point and just different things. And, but, but by this time, you know, I was like, you know, this journalism thing sounds great. And, um, you know, like I said, I'm going to a number of youth games and, and, and that's kind of how the, the USHL opportunity came because I was going to so many games and, and, and I love the recruiting side of things, which, um, you know, like I, 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 you know, even the, like NCAA video games, the football games, you know, I, I didn't play the, the actual games. I just, I loved the recruiting portion of the video game. And right. um, same, same thing with hockey, you know, you know, tracking, you know, who the premier recruits are in the country, you know, with Heisenberg's website and, you know, I would, you know, go to the elite league and, and, and started doing reports and, and putting them up on the website on, you know, guys that either Wisconsin had recruited or guys that I felt like would be potential targets based on their footprint and, and past history um, and stuff like that. So, um, and, and, and you mentioned Todd Maluski too, he, you know, he, he, he was the executive editor for us college hockey online. And, you know, he gave me an opportunity with that website as well to do more national recruiting stories and, um, you know, I was able to interview Austin Matthews about, uh, you know, back when he was deciding what path he was going to take, um, you know, and interview him on, on that sort of thing and, and some, some guys like that. So, uh, you know, it was, just, it was, it was exciting. And, and uh, that's kind of how, how eventually I let, led to just meeting enough people to get my foot in the door on the scouting side, which is not something that I had ever anticipated doing. Well, let's go back to that because this time of that you're talking about, let's just say it's between 2012 and 2014 or 15. Uh, that's an era where early recruiting was literally like in its hottest, hottest time. I mean, obviously the rules right. changed three, four years ago, but there was, I mean, the, the eighth grade commitments were just, crazy back then eighth ninth grade commitments and you're studying the badgers whatever it doesn't matter state you it doesn't matter you're following this crew and as a result now you're going to go see these kids play like hey this kid's committed now you're going to go watch kids play bantams or high school hockey in a space where there's not a lot of people covering bantams and early years of high school hockey that's that created that early recruiting kind of created an opportunity for you in a way didn't it yeah i think so um you know there just wasn't a ton of information out on the internet about these kids you know there were there were names um and you know you know chris dilks uh you know was a guy um who was doing something similar a little bit with his western college hockey blog and and he'd have notes on guys but there wasn't a ton of information out there uh, at the time and that really kind of helped me develop relationships with a lot of different college coaches. You know, even though I was Wisconsin kind of centric, mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I, I knew the uh, assistant coaches for, for pretty much every uh, school in the Midwest. I knew the Gophers assistant coaches, um, 
you know, a, a number of people and, um, you know, people would, would, you know, different advisors would reach out, you know, having questions about, you know, have you seen this kid? You know, what do you think about this guy? And, you know, I don't know how seriously they took it, but I mean, everyone's looking for more information and um, I was able to provide some, I guess, and kind of develop a, a little bit of a network. We, 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 you guys at YHH, would get calls all the time back in that day, just about who's yeah. this kid who's, I'm like, this kid's in eighth grade. You know, he doesn't know where yeah. he's going to go to high school, much less where he's going to go to college. And it's, I'm so glad these, the rules changed. And, and I remember when the rules changed, someone texted me or called me and said, I bet you're pissed that they changed the rules. And I'm like, no, it's fantastic. It's good for the kids. That's kind of what matters. And he goes, well, wouldn't, don't you kind of like it when they commit when they're in eighth grade? I'm like, no. When that Lucius tweet came out from Gentry Academy, it was kind of like, where were you when JFK got shot? I remember where <laughs> I was when that happened, and that the, the Cruz Lucius looked like he was 10 years old. You know, he was 13, right. whatever, when he was in eighth grade, but it was just bad. That was, I believe that's why was a big reason college hockey kind of put the kibosh on it. Yeah, I mean, and if you look at the history of it, the, the majority of those commitments never never held up, right? You know, not that the players didn't end up being good players, but uh, the, the majority of those 13, 14, 15-year-old commits don't end up even going to the, the school that they, they committed to. I mean, they were so young, um, and, and there's been staffing changes and program changes that it's just, it's just too too young. And it's it's hard to say no, don't get me wrong, when, you know, you're that age and you know, these premier programs are offering you a full scholarship. It's really hard to, to say no to that, but uh, I'm, I'm glad college hockey has kind of pulled back on that. It's for the good. I will say that. I will say that. No All question. right. So now I, I got to go back half a step here and just kind of, uh, I wish I was interviewing your parents right now because <laughs> when you talked about how you took a few years off and you coached them here, you didn't know where you wanted to go. Did your parents have any idea that you would, get to where you are right now in the hockey world or anywhere in this world? Or did they think, Hey, maybe he's just going to be a warehouse guy at, at dad's uh, dad's company. I, it's a good question for them. I can't speak to it. What I, do you think? I, 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 I think, I don't know that they envision this necessarily. Uh, I think they always believed in me. I mean, the, the way that they were able to, to they, they always, they never said no. Um, you know, whether it was, Hey, I need, uh, help with my rent payment this month, or, Hey, I need a job or, Hey, you know, whatever it happens to be, it was always, yes. Like, you know, they, they, they definitely, uh, went above and beyond to, to support, um, my dream. And, um, especially once I first got into the, the scouting side of it, you know, they knew it was an uphill battle, but, uh, they, they always supported it. And, and I think that they, they believe, well, they, they, I think they saw the effort that I put into it, you know, um, yeah. and that made it easier for them. And, and, uh, you know, like I said, I, I don't know if, cause I, I, I certainly didn't even think that this was a possibility. It wasn't even something that was on my radar, uh, when I first started. So I'm sure that they didn't see it either, but at, at least they knew that I was, um, you know, driven and, and, and had, uh, um, you know, the ability with my work ethic to, to make something. So uh, very fortunate that they were able to, to support that. All right. Let me better state, are they tickled pink with where you are right now in your life? Oh yeah. My mom cried her eyes out when I called her and told her that LA made the offer. 
Yes, um, that's what I was trying to get to. <laughs> yeah, I, which is great, you know. Um, you know, and, and we actually did a, a kind of a, a cup day where I brought the, the Clark Cup uh, back home this summer because I, I didn't, you know, things happen fast. And, um, you know, we had so many, we had, you know, I was still work for, for Sioux City until uh, mid-August. And, uh, you know, we had two summer camps and, you know, had to go to the national camps in, in Buffalo and, you know, two of those. And it was a quick summer, right? So right. I didn't get a chance to go home until uh, August and I brought, was able to bring the Clark Cup back and um, have a, a big uh, celebration with my family. And, um, you know, the only people I had told that I was getting the LA offer were my parents and was able to announce it during the party. And, um, you know, a lot of uh, people were, Mm. very very happy and emotional because there's there's a lot of people along in, in the in this process you know it's it's not just my parents you know like um you know my brothers and my cousin uh both are able to come down to the Clark Cup finals this year and um you know my grandparents have been big time supporters and um it's it's been really great and to have all these people along for the journey has has been tremendous and um, you know, even last night, the, the Kings had their, their home opener. My brother is sending me Snapchats watching the Kings game. So um, it's, it's glad to know that your family's got your back. Well, that's cool. All right, so let's go back. So we got to the Kings job here. We'll get to that later. But walk through the first time you got a call from, from Muskegon. Um, yeah. And they go, hey, we want your blogging to come, come scout for us. Uh, yeah, how did that was, go? Uh, did you did you think you were maybe getting pranked? Um, a little bit, maybe. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't, uh, you know, really know what was going on. I got, I actually got an email from uh, a guy named John Hull, who, uh, fast forward to now, is actually a scout for the San Jose Sharks. Back then, he was the assistant GM for Muskegon, and um, the GM there was John Van Beesbrook, obviously, who everyone yep. knows. Uh, but uh, John Hull reached out and just said basically. Hey, like, you know, I've read your website. Um, I've heard good things. You're doing all these reports on all these prospects. Would you do it for us? And, you know, that was a, I had never considered scouting for a team. It just didn't, for whatever reason, never crossed my mind. It wasn't, I was, I was definitely interested, but I, you know, I talked to a few, a few buddies in the industry and, and they basically said like, you know, yeah, like go ahead, but, you know, if you can continue doing the writing, you know, thing, you know, that's probably more real, realistic to a career. So Correct. as long as they're willing to, to let you continue writing, because that's what you're going to school for and, and, and everything, you know, by all means, go, go ahead with uh, that. So, um, you know, they paid me uh, $0. They sent me a track jacket. Uh, <laughs> but I was, tic- I was tickled pink, you know, like, they, you know, they, they covered my expenses, which weren't much because I was pretty much at the time just doing Minnesota and Wisconsin. That's what they asked for me. And, um, you know, they sent me down to Chicago for a, a big midget event. But at the time, it was, it was just doing Minnesota, Wisconsin high school. And, and, and that was great. And, um, you know, unfortunately for me, John got promoted to general manager of the Lincoln Stars at the end of the season and wasn't able to take me with him. And um, a quick little funny story about Muskegon. Um, they had two young promising players that I, I won't name who they are, um, but they really wanted those players to, to leave high school and play for them. They were, they were really good high school players in Minnesota. Um, they said no. Um, 
and the Muskegon coach at the time didn't like that very much and, and made a comment in the Minnesota or in, in the local paper, um, you know, basically just kind of trashing Minnesota high school hockey. And I didn't know about it at the time. And then somehow it ended up in, in, in let's play hockey, the, the article. Really? And uh, I, I saw it and uh, I was obviously uh, a little bit embarrassed and it kind of hurt, hurt our recruiting there in Minnesota. And, and at the end of the year, um, you know, Beezer kind of told me, hey, like, we're going to stay away from Minnesota players because they won't report to Muskegon at the time. Right. Um, and I said, well, John, that puts me in a tough spot because I'm living in St. Cloud, Minnesota, and you hired me to cover Minnesota. He goes, yeah. So, you know, you know, obviously, like, he's like, I think you did a great job this year. Uh, if you want to stay on, you're more than welcome, but you're going to have to, um, you know, basically move somewhere else. And, you know, at the time I was still going to school, it wasn't something that I was interested in moving. So, so I asked him if, if, if I, you know, if I, if I, am I are you, would you mind if I talked to some other teams and, you know, to, to, to Beezer's credit, Beezer's, and Beezer's been great to me. Um, he said, you know, you know, by all means, I'll, I'll have your back. I'll call anybody you want to. Um, and I, I, I'd known Shane Fukushima and, and, and PK O'Hanley with Waterloo a little bit and kind of reached out to them and, um, thankfully they, they had an opportunity and was able to join them for the next three years after that. So we talk about, we talked about it before a little bit. Um, the, the amount of pay is basically peanuts if there's any pay at all, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, like I said, my first year in Muskegon, um, you know, it was no, no pay, just expenses. Uh, same with my first year in Waterloo. Eventually, I think, uh, you know, maybe made, you know, a couple thousand in Waterloo. Um, but, you know, for the most part, these junior teams, even at the USHL level, they're, they're very uh, tightly run uh, organizations. They, there's not a lot of excess money for, for scouting and things of that nature. So uh, the majority, you know, you see these USHL scouts, you know, around the rinks and obviously the GMs and the coaches are getting paid and, and, uh, but the, just the area scouts, um, for the most part, are they're they're doing it for the experience and you know the track jacket and the business card, um, and it's really labor of love. And uh, you know I'm fortunate that I was able to have parents that uh, supported it, and you know when I needed you know an extra buck here or there, they were able to to help out. Um, not a lot of people can can do that, but I was fortunate to have the support system to to kind of push through. Uh, in those early years, or uh, or I wouldn't have made it. There's no doubt about that. So in the end of Waterloo, you picked up a job with the NHL Central Scouting. That was a, another paid gig. So you were kind of making a little bit more than the average scout. Uh, did that did that experience propel you into Sioux City, or how did the Sioux City thing uh, end up uh, unfolding? Yeah, the, the NHL was a great experience doing Central Scouting. So I was doing that doing Waterloo um, and uh, you know when, when I when I started doing the the central scouting part of it I was doing you know I, I had to cover USHL games and, and college games and um, I got to know uh, Luke Strand who was the eventual head coach that I worked with in Sioux City who has an Eau Claire has an Eau Claire connection correct yeah coincidentally you know from the same hometown um, you know he actually he, he he's you know quite a bit younger than my, my father but uh, they knew each other a little bit and, and, uh, but I, you know, I met Luke, uh, but I didn't really know Luke, um, you know, in our past had crossed from time to time, but uh, you know, the, the year that 
you know, one of the years I was doing central scouting, he was living in Madison working for the Calgary Flames as an amateur scout. I'm doing central scouting out of Madison. So, um, you know, to his credit, you know, he, he would call me and, and, uh, and say, Hey, I'm going to see the Rapids for a Tuesday game. Do you want to jump in with me? And, you know, I jumped at the opportunity anytime I could to, to do that. And, uh, we got pretty close that year and he, 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 he kind of had an idea that I wasn't making very much money doing what I was doing. Um, and, and I knew that he really wanted to get back into coaching. So, you know, he kind of joked and said, Hey, like if I ever get, you know, USHL head coaching job again, I'd love to bring you on to, to be my top scout or scouting director. And I didn't really take it seriously, but I, I, you know, I, I, I you know, he was a great friend and, you know, eventually he gets the head coaching job in, in Sioux city. And I was like, Oh man, like this could be interesting here. Um, and I didn't hear from him for a long time. So I figured it was kind of gone by the wayside. And uh, one day, you know, he, he called and uh, said, Hey, like, you know, I just, um, you know, reached out to Waterloo for permission to talk to you and would like to offer you a job. And, you know, I, even, even then I, I, it wasn't, uh, I don't even, I don't even know if it was, uh, um, legal what they paid me for a full-time salary that first year. Yeah. Uh, but I knew, I, I knew what, uh, uh, I, I, I knew what, what was down the pipeline and the opportunity and, um, to be able to run my own draft in Sioux city, it was extremely hard to leave Waterloo. Um, Shane Fukushima and, and Pika Hanley were great mentors. I owe them so much for what I learned from those guys there. It was tremendous. And it was really, really considered staying. It was an extremely hard decision. Um, but they had both been there for, you know, a decade plus and, um, you know, they were the big time decision makers and this was an opportunity to, you know, run my own draft for the first time. And, and that was just too hard to pass up and it turned out to be, you know, a, a great decision for me and my future. So you then obviously pulled up stakes and moved to Sioux city, correct? Yeah, I, I, I stayed in, I was living in Madison doing the central scouting in, in the Waterloo. Uh, my first two years was Sioux city. Um, I, I stayed there because I, I continued on with Central Scouting for two more years after that. Um, and then, you know, going into my third year in the third summer, uh, Sioux City offered me the opportunity to be the general manager. And at that point, um, you know, it became too much of a conflict of interest with Central right. uh, to stay on there. So, um, you know, I decided, hey, like, if I'm going to be the GM, I want to do this right. I want the kids to know that this is not fantasy hockey. And you know, when we're making decisions on releasing players or trading players, um, you know, not that I'm going to be there, you know, all the time, because uh, obviously we have to be on the road and scouting, but uh, I'm going to be there during the week. And these kids are going to know that I care about them and, and we're not making this red strass decisions um, just based on, on uh, fantasy. So right. um, that was w- one of the, the things that I really cared about was that the kids knew how much I cared about them and, and making them go to Sioux city. So, uh, yeah, the final, you know, two and a half, three years I, I've been living in Sioux City. So before I get to the GM job and, and running a draft, because I think it's a, that's an interesting point, I want to talk about central scouting because uh, the layman fan uh, who might read a tweet of ours or tweets or anything like that, they'll they'll see the the grading come out, the the the, the early grading, the, the you know the final grading, the midterms, um, and you obviously evaluated, you know. 50, 100, 200 players in your central scouting job. Tell me what that looks like uh, from from uh, the early years or what your job yeah. description, what do you do for that? Because it's like people yeah. see it, but what did Andy do to, to help, uh, you know, propagate that data for, for the central, for the 
NHL well, teams? You know, I look at central scouting as almost a finders kind of group. Um, you know, they're not trying to exactly predict uh, the, the draft. You know, they're trying to provide information to uh, all 32 NHL teams. That's what it was designed for. That's why it was created. Um, it wasn't really for the public uh, initially. It's it's grown more into that, obviously. But at the heart of it, it's it's an, it's an information source for the NHL teams. So, you know, part of what we did was doing official heights and weights on every player so that the NHL teams have the exact measurements, not the measurement that, you know, the team gave, but the measurement that comes from Central because that's official. So that's part of it. Now, um, are you, you know, doing those? The height yeah, we, uh, I, yeah, for sure. So yeah, when you're no, at a game, you got the scale and a, and a tape and you measure it, right? Yep, absolutely. Okay. You know, a lot of it's done in the preseason. Uh, right, in Pittsburgh prob- probably? Yeah, yeah, they'll do it like in Pittsburgh or, or um, you know, nowadays they do pretty much every single player in the high school. Season. So, right. um, you know, but by that point, you know, most of the, the prospects are, are taken care of. And as, as individual guys – uh, pop up from time to time. Absolutely, we go and and give a guy's height and weight to make sure that the NHL teams have it. We also do questionnaires for the players so that, um, and it goes on to kind of a private encrypted website that we have that NHL teams have access to, um, to look at a player's profile that has you know their parents' information. Um, you know if they have a family advisor. You know diff- different things of that. Sounds nature. like sounds but, like RinkNet to me. It it is in a way. Um, okay. It is in a way, it's just a little bit different. And then, you know, on that, that website, they can see our uh, you know, central scouting screen. Oh, so, this is just the central um, scouting. Yeah, okay, I got gotcha. you. Right. Yeah. So then, you know, um, you know, if, if, if people have seen it, you know, they basically have seen the ABC list. So Central will yes. give a kid an a, a grade for what we project as a first-round talent, a B grade for a second- and third-round talent, and a C grade for a fourth- through sixth-round type talent. Um, so – Every, every game, a team can, similar to RinkNet, can print off the, the roster for the game. But the, the difference is uh, these rosters will have Central Scouting's ABC list printed on the roster for them. So um, was it your only job is to, to give a kid a grade, or would you do more in-depth than that? Oh, we would – it's quite a bit more in-depth. We would, um, you know, after every game, we would do a report, which – um, you know, included, a, you know, like you would expect a, a standard kind of text paragraph box uh, where we put notes in, but we also would, you know, we had a number of things to check. Um, you know, we had to grade out their pro potential on a scale of one to 10. Uh, we had to grade out um, their game rating, just uh, a number of things. And then within each player uh, that would eventually, you know, we, we would, you know, submit a numbered list, you know, one through uh, X amounts, depending on how many guys were in your area. Um, and then, you know, you know, by the end of the year, um, you would have a box and, and you would grade out, you know, a player's skating um, based on a number of care, you know, categories there, you know, agility and glide and just different right. things. And, and, and all of those numbers, analytical numbers, um, you know, let's say there's five scouts that see a player, they kind of get averaged out and that player, you know, gets an NHL central scouting profile and that profile gets sent to all the NHL teams based on, on the grades and each individual team can do whatever they want with, with that information. Got it. Got it. Um, so let's talk about being a GM and running a draft in the USHL. We're kind of bopping all over the place here. Um, how many drafts did you do? Two or three or four? Or you were the boss? Uh, as the boss, uh, five. Five. 
Okay. Um, draft, how different were you on draft one? Because I'm pretty sure you're pretty geeked. Uh, to draft five or four or whatever, where you got a little bit more experience doing it. How were yeah, you different? Quite a bit different. Quite a bit different. Um, I think just, um, you know, a little bit in the trust factor uh, on trusting the guys that work for you, to be honest with you. Um, you know, early on, I didn't know, you know, we, we had a staff of 10 people that I inherited on the scouting staff, which is probably the biggest in the USHL. I, I know it's the biggest. There's no one that has that many guys, um, you know, and uh, th- that number has changed. Uh, it's gone up and down throughout the five years. Um, but you, you learn the guys that you trust. And, you know, in, in your first draft, um, to be honest, you know, for the most part, you're taking the guys that, that you know and believe in because uh, that was, you know, the work that you put in. And I think, you know, eventually over three, four or five years, you learn to uh, trust your guys and, and uh, you, you know which ones that um, you believe in and you, you give a little bit more uh, weight to what they have to say. And, and uh, that was one of the things that was really hard was uh, not, not being so controlling, you know, you got to ha- have some trust and faith and, and these guys do some really great work. So I think uh, probably was a little bit more open to ideas uh, as we got a lot along uh, in the process. That's kind of fascinating that the trust factor, because you have all these, the scouts and eyeballs out there. And I'm guessing when you became the GM and you're dealing with player trades and, you know, rec, you know, wins and losses on the day-to-day basis on on the ground, you're probably seeing a lot fewer games and you're going to have to trust them because your right. eyeballs are seeing a lot fewer, uh, you know, touches or eyeball yeah, games, right? I, yeah. Yes. And no. Um, I think it's less games live in person. Um, as I, as I went along, you know, early in the early days, it was, you know, just, when I was just the director of scouting and living in Madison, you know, I'm watching four or 500 games a year. Um, it, it, probably half of that, uh, you know, when it was all said and done last year. But there was also a lot more video work done uh, in the past two years with uh, the access to, to Instat, which, uh, you know, pretty much all the USHL teams use it now. And, um, you know, even even if there was a kid that, um, you know, I, I say, you know, we definitely, you know, put the trust in our, our scouts. And we certainly do. But I still had the ability to go pull that kid up on video and for the most part. So, um, you know, there was never, I can't think of very many situations where I didn't at least get, uh, you know, video on a kid uh, before we drafted them. So the, the advent of Instant being able to watch isolation video has been a huge tool in our, our, uh, our, our bag. All right. Now I have a list of questions. These are, these were just like biographical, you know, and we talked about finding out, um, you, you winning the Clark Cup um, and then finding out you got the job. Tell me about the job received, how you, how you learned about getting the job with the Kings. And it must not have come out of the blue. It must have, you must have had some, some interviews, must have, you know, I'm, I'm guessing that there was a process there. Yeah, it was a long process. Um, you know, I, I kind of heard um, the rumors that uh, Tony Gasparini, um, longtime scout out of Minnesota with, with L.A., um, very, very well-respected, outstanding guy, um, was going to be leaving um, to take the job as, you know, the president and, and GM in Sioux Falls. So um, it was right after we had won, maybe a couple of days after I, I submitted 
uh, my name to LA and told them I was interested in the job. And, uh, you know, they said that they would get back to me uh, after the NHL draft, which uh, was, you know, three, four weeks away at that time, maybe something like that. And, uh, you know, so they, 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 they held up their word and, um, you know, the interview process was, was long. It was, it was a couple of weeks long. Um, there were some projects involved. Um, so it, it kind of took the whole summer to, to kind of go through the process. Um, and, you know, when they, they called me the offer, I actually missed the call, unfortunately. And uh, the voicemail that I got from uh, my new boss, who Mark Ionetti, uh, the director of scouting for LA, um, left me a voicemail and said, uh, you should answer your phone more often. You never know when it's going to be good news. So I kind of had a, I kind of had a good idea uh, when I called them back, um, but still it was it was really nice to hear those words when when he made the offer and um, when he did you know um, similar to when I left Waterloo extremely extremely hard to to leave Sioux City um, you know there was times when I thought about pulling out of the process because um, you know we were going through a coaching search at the same time our head coach Luke Tran uh, went to uh, the Ohio State University this year. Um, so I, I, I was able to hire the new head coach, Jason Kersner, and I, I really wanted to, to kind of help Jason out and, and see him through his first year. Um, but the more and more I thought about it, um, it was really hard to turn down LA. I mean, it's a premier franchise in the NHL. And the more I talked to these guys about the opportunity and the say, um, and you know, that sort of thing of, of what my job was going to entail, it just was too much to, to pass up. Uh, before we get into some of these questions, you you just mentioned that, and and I'd gotten a chance to talk to Tony quite a bit and learn about his role with LA. And unless unless things have changed, he had an enormous role with that organization. It wasn't like he was one of like seventeen scouts. I mean, there aren't a lot of scouts in the Kings organization, which then gives you no. more power, not to say power, but more influence in the process of winning and losing too. Exactly, exactly. And I mean, that's exactly right. So in the U.S., there's there's just two scouts, um, myself and Teddy Belial, who lives up in Bemidji, Minnesota, uh, another great guy who's been a tremendous help uh, in the process. So Teddy and I are just kind of canvassing the country for, for the amateur draft and as well as covering the college for agent side. So, um, you know, like I said, there's not a lot of voices that uh, are, are, are here. Um, and then obviously, you know, we've got three or four guys in Canada and three or four guys in Europe. So it's not um, like a, a lot of other organizations where, you, you know, you're, you're simply, you know, sticking to the, the Western U.S. or whatever it happens to be. Um, you know, we've got a huge territory to cover. And um, thankfully, they give us the resources to do so. Uh, it's a lot of work, but it's rewarding and uh, excited to kind of put my stamp on this year's crop. Where uh, where do you live now, Andy? I moved down to Omaha, Nebraska. Okay. So um, you know, not too far from Sioux City, just an hour and a half down the road. Uh, I, I thought about staying in Sioux City. I really got to, to love the people there, made a lot of great friends. And uh, it just says the, the airport's just not very convenient. Uh, even right. when I was living there, I was probably driving down to Omaha or driving up to Sioux Falls to use the airport there. Uh, you know, so this, uh, you know, living in Omaha now, I'm, I'm you know, five minutes from the airport, uh, which is pretty convenient. And uh, the travel, you know, with as much travel as we have to do for LA, uh, I kind of need to have that airport access. So I'm down here now and um, can still stop up in Sioux City. I was up there last uh, Saturday for the banner unveiling. And, um, you know, it's just a short trip down the road if I want to go see some friends. 
it's uh, weird. Uh, one scout once told me, he's like, you either going to, if you're an NHL scout, you're going to either live in Omaha, Nebraska, or Detroit, Michigan, because that's where yeah. all the action is, right? It's the closest yeah. to all, you're the closest to all the action with the OHL yeah. and the NTDP exactly. out there. And then you have, obviously, with Omaha, you're going to be close to so many of the USHL teams. Right. Yeah, I know it's great, you know, and, and there's there's a number of NHL scouts that live down here. And, um, you know, obviously Minneapolis is a hotbed for that as well. But yep. uh, Minneapolis, Minneapolis, Detroit, Omaha, uh, there's some in Des Moines and, and Chicago. Um, but those are kind of the, the hot areas for guys. Well, that's one of my first questions is uh, obviously you've been in uh, USHL scouting fraternity for the last six, seven, eight years. Uh, what's the baptism been like into the NHL uh, scouting fraternity for you? It's been great so far. Um, you know, a lot of the same guys that, you know, I'm seeing every day with the NHL stuff are, are guys that I'm, I've been friends with for a number of years. Um, you know, there's a lot of guys that have, uh, you know, been given opportunities, um, you know, coming from the USHL um, and gotten opportunities in the NHL. I think the NHL is realizing what a great league the USHL is and, and they're giving guys opportunities. I mean, I saw it firsthand, um, you know, the guy who came before me in Sioux city, Jamie Huffman, um, you know, he was the a great scout uh, and assistant GM in Sioux city. And he got an opportunity with the Pittsburgh Penguins and has crushed it there. Um, so, you know, he's been a big mentor for me and what he's done, um, you know, Tristan Musser and with, with Buffalo and the, the, the list goes on and on with, with the number of guys that have gone on from the USHL um, to the NHL. And, and uh, you know, I'm fortunate to, to call a lot of those guys friends uh, today and, and see those same faces. And, you know, a lot of those guys were guys that, you know, were calling to interview me about uh, our Sioux city draft prospects. So um, definitely no stranger to, to most of those guys. And, and the transition has been great, and they've been more than happy to, to help out with any questions and, and that sort of thing. It's it's a small fraternity, and everyone kind of looks out for each other. What does uh, you know? What makes a good scouting report? You know, you've done it in the USHL. Um, you've seen them now being a GM, um, and now you're making them get, again for a, a director of scouting. What makes up a good scouting report for someone to read? Well, I, I think um, you know it's it's considering who's going to read the scouting report, right? So. Um, you know, for, for me, like, uh, I think using the same language that everyone's using on, uh, on your staff to make sure that everyone's on the same page so that, you know, what you say um, is understood by the person that's receiving it. So um, whether that's uh, the numbers that you may use or the, the verbiage that you use, making sure that that's consistent. Um, and to be honest with you, um, having a, a, just a clear and concise uh, thought um, is all that's necessary. You know, I see a lot of reports online now, and I would probably even laugh at myself from some of the ones that I wrote, uh, written back in the day, because um, I'm sure they were way too long and way too much fluff. You know, I think, you know, if you can get it done in, uh, you know, uh, a couple couple sentences, you know, but you got to make sure that you're touching on what you want to touch on too. Um, but I, I think a, a lot of the stuff is, is fluff and overkill uh, for effect the ones that stuff you see publicly. Um, I, I think it's better just to get straight to the point and be concise so that the reader can read it. Uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily even have to be uh, in paragraphs. Maybe it's just a list of, of uh, things. So I think there's a, a different ways to do it. And, and uh, I've seen it done multiple ways, but 
you know, like I said, just making sure you're on the, the same page as the person that's reading it. We touched on this a little earlier about, you know, would you call them the bonus babies, the ones who go right to the league, right? And then everything right. else, everything else is projection, right? Even even when you were watching Bantams projecting them to the USHL uh, was just as tricky. I mean, because you're talking about puberty and drive for the game, but it's not much different between an 18 and 20 year old that you're projecting to be 24 or 23 or 25 years old and in the prime of their career. How do you do it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a lot that goes into it because, you know, like you said, you use the word bonus babies. Outside of those guys that are, you know, the top 15 picks, the majority of the guys are three to six, seven years away from ever wearing an LA King sweater, especially the college type guys that need a little bit more time and projections. So, um, you know, I think first and foremost, you try to learn as much as you can about the, the person. Uh, I'm a firm believer um, throughout my time um, in hockey that the person that you are has a lot to do with your ability to make it or not. Um, now, it's not the end-all, be-all, obviously. Um, not every uh, guy in the NHL is a saint by any means. Uh, but uh, I, th- I think when it, when it comes down to, uh, you know, those borderline guys, it can definitely be the difference to drive the work ethic uh, I think, you know, trying to learn as much as you can about guys uh, goes a long way. And that's why I think, you know, we spend as much time as we do, uh, especially at the NHL level, trying to get to know guys and, and their families and their backgrounds and histories. Uh, it's, it's a big separator. So, um, but, you know, other than that, you know, obviously there's different attributes that we feel like, um, you know, have certain uh, effects on, on the game uh, going forward. Um, and, you know, not, not going to give away any secrets by any means. No. Um, you know, I think that there's just certain things that you got to look for. And, and like, like, like we touched on before, you, you know, you're, you're constantly in search of the guys that are on that upward trajectory, which is uh, obviously easier said than done. I had a uh, division one coach. He was an assistant at the time. He's a head coach. Now um, we were just BSing once uh, I think it was over in Plymouth. And I said, uh, why are you standing right here? Cause we were literally like, kind of off way off to the left and he goes oh i'm just doing the mom test i'm like well that seems kind of creepy he goes no 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 no. the kid's gonna come out of the locker room he's pointing at this kid and he's, he's gonna come out of the locker room and i'm gonna see if he hugs his mom or not or blows right by the mom and goes right to the locker room with his buddies or goes right to the bus <laughs> with his buddies i'm like really and he goes yeah never fails Never take a kid unless he hugs his mom. He's not going to hug his mom. He's not going to hug me. He's not going to love our program. Kid walks out of the locker room, gives the mom a hug. He goes, there you go. There's a scholarship offer right there tomorrow. (laughs) Right? That's the strangest thing I've ever heard in my life, right? But it was just kind of what his little intrinsic thing, right? It was kind of his gut, right? And uh, do you have any of those things where you have like this non-hockey kind of things that you look for in a player when you're scouting? I don't know about non-hockey, but I definitely like to sit, uh, you know, if, if you're picking a place in the rink, I like to be able to see the bench if possible because um, I like to see uh, their body language. Uh, I think body language. After a shift, right? For, for, yeah, after a shift. Um, you know, I want to see if they're slamming their stick, if they're um, talking to their teammates on the bench and, um, sharing information or, you know, that sort of thing. Or, you know, if, if they, if their coaches, um, you know, in their ear, how are they receiving that information? You know, are they receptive? Uh, are they pouting? 
Um, you know, you can't always uh, get it down exactly, but I think you can get an idea sometimes on guys on on how they are receiving the information and how they are. So that's something that, uh, you know, it's just a little, a little something that you, you can kind of put in the back of your notes. All right. How many times do you have to see a guy to, to know? Is it love at first sight? Is it 10 times, <laughs> 20 times? I'm just throwing it out there. I, I think there's definitely a paralysis by analysis by seeing a guy too many times. I think that that's one of the common misconceptions with this job is that you got to see a guy, you know, 15, 20 times. I think personally, I think that's overkill. Uh, for me, um, you know, if you can see a guy, you know, five to eight times, I think you should know the player pretty well by that time. Um, you know, you might be able to do it before that a little bit. And nowadays with the advent of video, um, we're probably checking on these guys on the video side of it as well. But if you're, if you're looking at a guy, you know, 15 times, I think you're, you're at that point, you're just looking for things to nitpick. That's a great question. Have you, and I know this is more of a USHL question because you haven't had a full NHL uh, slate yet, but have you ever seen a guy that was just unbelievable and then the next time was just crap? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not saying list know, names, but it, does one, that ring a bell? Does that yeah. jump out at you? There, there's definitely con- consistency is definitely a category that we look at. Right? Yeah. You know, I mean, um, you know, sometimes there's a kid that just, he just doesn't have an impact on, on that game. Um, but he's a really good player. Um, you know, I think especially when, you know, you're looking at a USHL schedule, like these guys are playing 62 games. Oof, you know? yeah. They're not, they're not going to have it every single night. Um, you know, maybe their girlfriend broke up with them that day. Uh, you know, maybe, you know, the travel was bad. Maybe they, you know, maybe they were in, uh, Waterloo one night and they got to play in Fargo the next night. Like that's a, that's a tough bus ride. You know, you get in at, you know, late, you know, two, three in the morning, uh, sleep for a few hours, get team breakfast, get your nap or whatever it happens to be. Um, you know, the, the, the travel can be grueling uh, for, for some kids sometimes, or, you know, maybe it's a high school kid that, uh, you know, has a big test coming up or a project and, you know, they spent you know more time that week working on their homework and they're just not ready so I think that's why you got to give the kids the benefit of the doubt sometimes, and you're not right. just going to write them off on one bad game. You know, if you see a kid eight times and he's got seven really good ones and one stinker, I don't think you're going to uh, bury the kid because of that. I think you got to look at the body of work and just take in each individual data point for what it is. Does the scouting, uh, coaching, GMing, does it sometimes take the love of the game out of it? You ever take, see the joy come out of it? Or a you? little bit, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I, somebody was asking me the other day about, um, you know, different NHL players. And, um, and while I certainly, you know, I mean, I know all the names, obviously, but, um, you know, I kind of I kind of laughed. I said, like, I really haven't watched that many NHL games uh, the past couple of years. Um, you know, it, it, I see so many games between uh, the USHL and, and the games that I'm scouting that, um, you know, if it's an average Tuesday night, a lot of times, I don't want to go home and put another hockey game on TV. I want to, you know, watch Dumb and Dumber or right. Wedding Crashers or whatever happens to be to, to get out of hockey. Um, so uh, my joy of, of maybe watching the NHL, um, you know, over the past few years hasn't been what it's been. Um, I'm guessing that's, you know, going to change here. And I was pumped last night to watch both NHL games, at least parts of them uh, while I was doing some work. Um, but, yeah, there's, there's definitely something to be said about, 
you know, being able to just watch the game as a fan and, and enjoy it. Uh, it's been a long time uh, since that's been, been, been the case. It's funny, uh, uh, Peter and I uh, from YHH laugh all the time. Like, people will come up to me wherever and go, oh, did you see the Wild last night? And I'm like, no. Yeah. <laughs> no idea. Did they win? You know, like, because we're so focused on whatever it might be, uh, an event or, you know, three big high school games in one night. We, we got a guy here, and then you have all the production stuff that we do. A lot of times the pro hockey is, and college hockey gets kind of, left at the wayside during the heat of the heat of the season. I'm sure you have a heat of the season too, you know, where you're, you're going to be out of games, you know, six o'clock, you show up at the rink and you don't leave until nine thirty or 10. And unless you're staring no at your question. phone, you can't stare at your phone when you're at the Sioux city, Sioux falls game. You know, you got to be in the Sioux right. city, Sioux falls that night. Right. Of course. Of course. Yeah. It's, it's definitely, definitely changed things from a fan perspective and, um, you, you become a fan of your team, you know, yeah. and, and uh, you, you live and die with the, the organization that you work for. And, um, you know, that's why I like, you know, winning a championship this year was, was so rewarding because you've put five years of really, really hard work and uh, a lot of sacrifice. And, um, you know, it's just a really big relief. Let's talk a little bit about Minnesota. Um, you lived here. I uh, live in St. Cloud. I've seen you, you know, hundreds of times in rinks watching, whether it be yeah. Bantams or high school or whatever it might be. Uh, tell me uh, the good, bad, and the ugly. What do you think of Minnesota kids and the Minnesota model? Because one of the criticisms, I've heard this one, I'm like, man, are you really digging hard here? Minnesota's never had, I don't think there's a Hall of Famer in the NHL. Minnesota-born Hall of Famer in the in the that, you know. that's an unbelievable stat if that's true um I, wow i never think about, about that. that i mean um, maybe i don't know i can't think of one but what does that Housley? say you know yeah Housley, i don't uh, know yeah. if he's made the hall of fame yet i know he's at the u.s hockey hall of fame but i'm talking about the nhl hall of fame uh, i think it's just a matter of time um you know if, either way i i think minnesota's hockey is great um you know i i think you know, the community-based model, um, especially for the affordability, um, hockey's become, it, it's its actually one of the things that, um, you know, I'm not in a position, you know, yet um, to, to really do much with it, but it's one of the things that I'd really like to sit down with people over the next 10 years and figure out how, how we can figure out how to curtail costs of hockey in the United States. Um, I have no idea where to begin with it, but it's, it's gotten out of hand. Um, especially the, 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 num the, the money that the AAA kids are spending, you know, in Chicago, Detroit, um, you know, all over the country to, to play. It, it really makes it, um, limiting to the number of families that can play. And that's the great thing about, you know, Minnesota, even Wisconsin, North Dakota, to an extent, uh, being able to play, um, you know, for your community. Um, with limited costs, and, and don't get me wrong, it's still expensive for the equipment and everything else, but it's nowhere near what some of these other places are having to pay, and that's really special, and it keeps as many kids in the game and in the sport as possible, and and that's only going to produce more players, and obviously, you know, Minnesota may not have had a Hall of Famer, but they've had, an, uh, you know, the, the number of kids that are coming out, it's 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 really special, and it's, it's, a, it's, it's a hockey hotbed, and, and that's why you've seen me there as much as I have been, and 
yes, certainly I lived there for, for a number of years, but um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of people that um, ask me where I live in, in Minneapolis even now. And, I, and, and they, they, they're like, I see you here all the time. And it's, that's where the, you go where the players are. Right. So right. Um, I think it's great. I think community model is great. I think, I think USHL gets a little bit of a bad rap in Minnesota that uh, every player, you know, you're trying to steal players all the time. And I, I don't think that that's necessarily true. Um, I, I think, you know, we always look at it um, on an individual case by case basis. I think, you know, kids that um, not every kid, you know, needs to leave early. Um, there are certain kids that the opportunity um, certainly I think would be beneficial for them if they've exceeded, um, you know, what they, you know, they've had certain successes um, that, you know, maybe they're not going to be challenged uh, in practice like they would at the USHL level. Um, but whenever we never were going to force a kid, you know, we present an option. Um, you know, we tell them, you know, these are the reasons why we feel like you're ready to play at this level. Um, but we're also very, very careful on the kids that we offer. Um, and, right. I, and I think that, you know, when we talk about it, there's got to be an opportunity to play in a certain role. There's got to be, uh, the player has to be uh, not only physically mature enough to play at the next level, but mentally ready to play at that next level. And, and not every kid is, um, you know, it's a big commitment to, uh, go to school outside of your normal school, whether that's online or in-person school. So many kids now, when they go to the USHR, are doing online school, and that's not for everyone. So, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna leave, um, it's got to be the the right kid and the right opportunity. And um, you know, I think we we've tried to we you know when we were in Sioux City, we tried to do the best we could to, um, you know, pick and choose which kids we felt like uh, could have success. Cause, you know, the, 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 the last thing that we wanted was to bring a kid out of high school that wasn't ready. Why do you think, going back to this kind of an NHL, Minnesota type question, why do you think we've had so much success with defensemen in, in, the, in the NHL versus forwards and goalies? That's a great question. Because I mean, there know. are. I mean, it's the, I mean, that's something I can back up with facts. It's not like, oh, maybe, yeah. maybe not. Like the Ryan McDonough's and Keandre Miller and, and Mikey Anderson and Dylan Sandberg and Neil Pionk. I mean, we just keep going. I mean, the list is just now yeah. Sean's going to get in there. Like, it just it seems like we have such a hotbed for D-man. What do you, what do you think that attributes to? Yeah, I, I, I don't know exactly. I, I mean, I'd wonder how many of those kids started as forwards and ended up transitioning back to D. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think about like a Jake Gardner who, you know, played forward at Minnetonka pretty much his entire yeah. career until, you know, partially the way through high school. Um, you know, so some of those guys have, you know, forward attributes and then they shift, shift back to D. And if, 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 you're, if you can defend, but you have forward skills, that to me, a lot of, I mean, that's a real recipe for potentially an elite player. Um, so when you look at a guy like Jake Gardner and is able to do that, and um, I know there was at least one or two of those guys that you, you names that you had mentioned that um, did the same. That you know, it's not it's not the case for everyone, but you know that that's one thing that I would wonder. I don't know. I don't. I don't know why why they've had more more defensemen than, than forwards, but um, you know, I, I do know that it's really hard to find good defensemen, and um, you know, Minnesota's done a great job figuring it out. Yeah, it's, it's just, and it's not just like you know, the 99s, it's like, you go back to Falk, and I mean, Lily, it's just, it's like, it's like, just, there's a tree of defensemen here in Minnesota, yeah. and I, I can't really pinpoint what that is, and maybe through this podcast, we get someone who 
respond to us to why that why, what the success ratio is. So great question. All right, so I got uh, I built up five questions here, and you cannot answer anything to do with Sioux City on any of these. No matter how badly you want to, you can't answer anything <laughs> Sioux City. So uh, these are just kind of USHL questions. I kind of gave you a preview of it before the show, but just we'll, we'll finish it off with this. All right. So uh, the best USHL rink be- besides Tyson. Sioux Falls. Denny Sanford Center. All right. So you went with new and pretty, not like old school. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Best coach in the USHL. I can't can't say Sioux City, right? You can't say Sioux City because you hired the guy for crying out loud. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I I mean, I'd have a tough time not saying Anthony Noreen in Tri-City. I mean, I think his success speaks for itself. He gets the most out of his guys and does, you know, they do a great job developing players down there. All right. This is the only negative one. Worst town for food in the USHL. Ooh, that's a hard one. Um, man. Uh, not Fargo. Fargo's got some good spots. Uh, I'll just say uh, Chicago. Just it's, you know, out in the suburbs and it's off the beaten path. Got it. Okay. Uh, what's the best hotel when you go to a whole USHL city? Best road hotel, Fargo Element Hotel, which... Oh, I know that one. Been there. It's a great, it's a great spot. And actually, I, I believe they're actually switching host hotels this year. And our uh, assistant coaches, which are staying on board, were devastated when I told them that they're no longer going to the Fargo I thought Ace, oh, Ace owned Far- Element, didn't he? I, I don't know. I think he did. Um, but I heard there's... I think they're switching to like a holiday inn or something, but the element was great. Um, I can't think of the gal's name here there that took care of us, but she was always so accommodating, uh, great customer service, and obviously a fantastic venue uh, hotel. All right, last question: Who got the best unis in the USHL? Waterloo. Ooh, that's a good answer. I like that one. I like that one. Well, you had a ton of good answers uh, today. Uh, this was a blast getting to kind of know a little bit about you and uh, your career path. I can't wait uh, to do another career path uh, five years, ten years from now when you're a, a GM or uh, something in the, in the NHL. I, I, your career path has been phenomenal. It's been great to get to know you. Yeah, no, I appreciate the time. Like I said, you know, you guys have been uh, – the industry standard um, and, and it's fun to see you guys continue to expand, um, you know, into different things. So I uh, appreciate all you guys have done for, for hockey uh, in general and not just Minnesota, but the U S we had Andy Johnson here from the LA Kings. Thanks for joining us today, Andy. Appreciate it, Tony. Love.